You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. I have Mike Sando with me, as we always do on Thursdays. Um, Before I get into that, though, I just want to tell you guys to remember to get this show every day. Subscribe to Locked On NFL on the new Himalaya podcast app, too. So in every expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked On NFL and leave us a good review while you're at it. And Mr. Sando, how are you? It sounds like you just got back from uh, the owners' meetings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of relationship building, and uh, you know they also take care of a bunch of business replays and all that type of stuff, and, and so there's always a lot going on. There didn't seem to be as much in the way of like, hey, is this player going to be traded? That sort of thing. But the Gronk story dropped right in the middle of it, so um, there was, you know, there was something. I have not been to the owners' meetings. I think I'll probably go next year. We might do a Steelers radio show from there. But I always get the impression that it's at like luxurious resorts and a lot of pool time and you know a lot of money. Well, there's no doubt. Think of it this way: you know, there's whatever thirty billionaires are there. You know, mm-hmm. um, and they always have it in swank places. Um, Mike Sando always stays at a hotel off-site in the interest of <laughs> the company. <laughs> Some of those rooms are probably closer to a thousand dollars a night than you know. Right. Right. Would normally be- <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. But, yeah, I don't know, but the pool time is uh, is a thing, I think, for some of them. I heard that, uh, uh, you know, one of the coach I knew of one of the coaches who, like, missed the head coach team picture because he was at the pool. One That's year, great. Jim and uh, John Harbaugh were both there, because uh, obviously they were, they were both coaching. And I forget where it was, but it was at a place that but the swimming pools had those like a dual slides that go into the pool. Okay. And I, I'm telling you, Matt, uh, Jim and John are like 11-year-olds when they're together. <laughs> I mean, they're like, at any moment, they could be wrestling on the ground. Right. And their noogies, you know? <laughs> so these two guys are running along the side of the deck of the pool, racing to get up to the slide to race themselves down. It was ridiculous, but very entertaining, totally hilarious, and exactly what you'd expect from those two you know, I don't know what, what, what the uh, word would be, but, you know, if, you, if I have two sons, it, it reminded me of that. No, I bet. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I bet they were exactly the same 30 years ago. For, you know, their, their mom's probably like, yeah, never, nothing ever changes. You know, what's exciting this year was uh, Jack Harbaugh was there. You know, their, their father was there walking around with John. Really cool. Oh, very cool. So, I just realized the draft is exactly one month away, you know, opening night on Thursday, and today is opening day in Major League Baseball, so kind of a... Um, historic day, so to speak. I mean, noteworthy day. Those things are, are big thing in the sports world. And another huge thing that you mentioned in the sports world was the Gronk retirement. And I'm not going to tell you my thoughts as much because I really went into it yesterday with Mark Schofield. But my, my overriding thoughts on it are, just the quick thoughts are, I think he's far and away the best tight end that's ever lived. I think he's the third most important patriot behind Brady and Belichick in this amazing run, but I'm also very happy he's gone, not because I'm a Steelers guy, but because 
he wasn't the same last year, and I don't want to see him battered and bruised out there. I mean, I want to remember him as a Super Bowl champ going out at the right time. Absolutely. I mean, he went from a guy who was the hitter to the hitty. You know, you sort yeah. of felt his pain. Um, I think it's a great decision for him uh, to step away at this point. You know, he, for all, you know, for all, as much as the injuries and, and age were taking a toll on him this last year, and he still basically, you could say, almost won the Super Bowl for him. Right, when right. When he really needed him to rise up. Um, I got to be at the AFC Championship game when they played Kansas City. And I was in this tiny media interview room after the game. I mean, there, there must have been, the capacity was probably 30 people, but there was like 60 in there. <laughs> so while Brady's talking, Gronk is waiting to, at the back of the room. You know what I mean? And then, then Belichick's waiting. Well, when Brady came down from the podium and... Uh, and Gronk was coming up. It was just really cool, you know. I mean, these two guys. I sensed at the time this was it, and they they, you know, gave each other a big embrace and a handshake, and it just felt like it was time. And for them to win the Super Bowl with him playing a role, really giving it his all, which is not his all is not what it used to be, but it was enough. And um, I agree with you. It puts them in a bind, but didn't they have to be ready for this? Yeah, I think they were. I mean, even last year, there was talk that maybe he'd be traded last offseason. Like, I think they've seen this coming. And something I mentioned yesterday was, I feel like 2018 was a bonus year for them. You know, that they should, they, they saw this coming, that it's a deep tight end draft. Who knows how they'll handle it. But a couple other things about Gronk, too, is you mentioned, you know, his highlight moments. He still had some in him, but obviously fewer. I thought he was still a great blocker. Um, I think they realized they had to manage his time, and I'm sure the week off before the Super Bowl did him a world of good. You know that they they they, they handled the situation very very well. Yeah, no, I agree. And looking at their team, you know, uh, and the tight end position, I was looking at this at the league meeting. So there's there's 15 tight ends in the league who caught 40 passes last year. Okay. That was okay. My cut off. Are you really involved in the offense? Well, Gronk had of those guys. Here's the most snaps lined up in line, meaning at the end of the line you're not flexed out. More traditional type tight end usage. It's Kyle Rudolph, 524, Gronk, 512, George Kittle, 504. There's no one even above 460 after that. So that speaks to the blocking. You're obviously, mm-hmm. if you're in the slot or out wide, you're probably not going to be you know, as big of a factor in the run game. He, he was, and he was also a factor in protection. So they are such a chameleon team, Matt, that they, you know, they can be a different thing week to week. Um, so do they, what do they become? Do they try to find a, a Gronk replacement who fills that role so they can continue in their offense, which is heavy in two running backs, one tight end, a little bit of a traditional personnel group. They do flex them all over the place. Or are we going to see them become a, well, I would say a three or four wide receiver team, but they don't have any wide no, outs. Wide outs, right, right. Sure. Tight ends, maybe wide receivers. They got to do something, and obviously the draft could focus on that too. Yeah, two of my the, the the guys I respect the most, Greg Cosell. He was on Ross Tucker's podcast and said, "Anyone that's seen Gronk, and you've been next to him, I mean, the most amazing thing about him was, and I said yesterday, he's the most uncoverable player in the league when he was right. Was he's so big." But he detached like a wide receiver, and you lost nothing in terms of you know his ability in space and as a route runner. And I, and I read Andy Benoit's column, who basically said, Gronk during this stretch allowed the Patriots to be highly successful 
running the ball out of passing personnel and passing the ball out of running personnel. And it's undefensible. Absolutely, and that's the whole name of the game. You're trying mm-hmm. to pass the ball when they think you're going to run and vice versa. And to me, the elite tight end is the queen of the chessboard. Yes. I mean, it's really what allows you to be difficult to defend. And I would rather have an all-time great tight end than an all-time great wide receiver. Uh, even though traditionally that receiver is probably going to make more money and get drafted earlier, I just think you can do um, you can do more things. So, how do they replace that? They don't. There's none that are grown. No, no. No, there's not. But I think they need to do something. And I mean, looking at their tight ends last season, what did they have? Gronk, Dwayne Allen, and Jacob Hollister. But now it's just Hollister, right? Yeah. The guys who played and Hollister's left, and I believe he played 59 snaps. You know, so. Something's got to be done. I'm very interested in what they do in the draft. Uh, they have a lot of picks, which opens the door for either trade possibilities or, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they took a, is there a tight end to take in the first round or, you know, something like that. Yeah, it's a, I don't know how familiar you are with this draft class, but I love the tight end class. I think a guy like Irv Smith from Alabama would make sense at 32. Maybe you trade up for one of the Iowa guys. Or even later on, there's several. And talking to Mark yesterday, he's dialed in with the Patriots. He thought with all those picks, they'd probably take two out of their first, you know, six picks or so, which would make sense to me because they're all shapes and sizes. But rookie tight ends don't come in and make big impacts. I mean, like, you're not going to replace this guy is the bottom line. Right, and I definitely will be looking at the veteran option yeah. too. I'm not, you know, I don't know. The teams that have a good one probably don't want to give them up. So. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're going to trade for Travis Kelsey, right? <laughs> right, right. George, George Kittle's not on the block, you know, right. Yeah, George Kittle's not on the block. So as I look through that list, you know, would they make a move for Kyle Rudolph? Or is there somebody who hasn't who hasn't gotten their potential where they're at? You know, the Cincinnati's guy. Um, you mm-hmm. know, whoever. Is, is there a Vance McDonald that they want to have? They weren't really, they didn't seem to be going after Jared Cook, you know. I don't know. There's got to be something. Right, and you know we mentioned last week, Jared Cook is a slot receiver that has TE next to his name. You know he's not going to line up in line, and you're not going to run with. He's not going to block anybody. You know he's not going to be Gronk. I mean that's that's the problem. That's the beauty of this guy. That's why I've said that he's more important than Brewski, Seymour, Law, Harrison. I mean all the Patriots other than Brady and Belichick. Jared Cook, three hundred and five snaps as an inline tight end. I wonder what he did the most. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> sure. No, not at all. Um, Quick break here, and then I'm going to bring up a little bit more Patriot news. Uh, We'll be right back. All right, I mentioned before uh, that we're going to talk a little bit more Patriots, but really what we're talking is Josh Rosen, and I speak about this a ton on this podcast because I'm really infatuated with it. I think it's a done deal now that Kyler Murray goes one, and the blurb on Roto World is the Chargers, Patriots, and Giants are very dialed into Rosen. I had a big Giants conversation yesterday. We've been talking Patriots a lot this week. And I've said since day one, Mike, that if I'm any team in the league, I'm considering giving my second-round pick, let alone a third-round pick for this guy. But And I was a fan of him coming out. But I think something you mentioned that I've been stealing, to be honest with you, is if you were a team that didn't love Rosen as a draft prospect one year ago, and I'm sure there are some, well, there's no way you like him any better now. No, you didn't say that. Wow. <laughs> right. Well, I was wrong. You know, this guy really lit it up. But he's also in a bad situation, you know, one of the worst situations. 
Awful. Coordinator halfway through the season, they had no offensive line, no real weapons. You know, I mean, Larry Fitzgerald's there, but there wasn't anybody you're doubling. You know. Sure. So uh, you had a first-time head coach. It, it was tough. So um, what's interesting to me about the teams you mentioned? So the Chargers. I believe they were the only team in the league that didn't make a trade last year, and maybe someone listening can find the trade they made, but they haven't been a wheeling and dealing team. No. That no. hasn't been their M.O. there, uh, so we'll see about that. The Patriots have been. They've got a lot of picks. They obviously need to start preparing for life after Tom Brady. If they don't like someone in this draft, why wouldn't you give up one of those picks, you know, if it could get you um, a Josh Rosen? So you can see that. The Giants, we just we don't really know. We don't know exactly what they're doing or um, how they see Eli or how they see Rosen. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, I could certainly see a team like New England and the Chargers are sort of similar. They're they're contenders. They have Hall of Famers in place, but they're old. And, you know, it's a great landing spot for Rosen to learn. No immediate expectations. But, you know, it might be two years till he takes over. Um, my thoughts on the Chargers are they did sign Tyrod Taylor, who I would imagine would be the immediate backup. They don't have a lot of needs, though. I mean, I think they could use offensive line help. They may be in a position where adding a quarterback in this draft, whether it's Rosen or Will Greer or second rounder or whatever, this might be the year for them to do it. Yes, but we could have said that last year. We'll be yeah. Next year, right? Right, right. Right, right. No, I hear you. And they're in to win it. Um, the Taylor move does indicate that maybe they would be the least likely of these three, especially with New England with all those picks like you mentioned. It does sound like a Belichick move. Um, and the Giants, to me, I've been saying all along, that's how I would handle the Giants situation. Take that early second, use those two first-round picks on defense, and then all of a sudden you add Jabril Peppers and two first-round picks to the defense, I think it's a nice nest for Rosen to kind of sit there and learn from Eli. That's how I would handle it if you if they like the player, obviously. Yeah, if I were a team that had some interest in Rosen, let's face it, if you're one of those teams, you don't have to have Rosen right now. You don't have to mm-hmm. have him at all. Let's just see what the Cardinals do. Put the put the pressure on Arizona. If they take Kyler Murray, the price for Rosen doesn't go up, does it? No, absolutely not. Right. Yeah, interesting. Um, this was kind of a short segment. The next one's going to be a little longer. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we'll take, it, we're going to take another quick break here, and I'll be right back to discuss five teams in the NFC. Be right back. All right, Mike. I mentioned this off the air that it kind of dawned on me that basically going into last year, many of us, and I'm not going to lump you in, but I assume you were in at least pretty much on board, looked at the NFC and thought, Wow, there's too many good teams in the NFC to get to the playoffs. There's a, you know, we didn't see the Bears coming, but you know the Saints, the Eagles were coming off a Super Bowl win, um, the Rams. I mean, we knew that there were a lot of really high quality teams, and there were five teams to me that didn't have the year we expected for sure. That are they sleeping giants that people aren't thinking about? And let's start with the Eagles. 
I'm very much glass half full on him, and maybe I'm too excited about him because the durability thing is legit, but I think he's a superstar in the making, and I think that they have a lot of weapons in the passing game. I would expect them to add a running back of some sort. Defensive front looks very much intact and very dangerous, and I think they're a little better at corner than they've been. I probably, I mean, jump in the gun, but I think they're the best team in that division. Yeah, they probably should be. Yeah. Right, I don't know, right. I, I, I think that's the real question, so um, I, I agree with you, though. They could be they could be um, the best team in that division. I, I certainly would take them over. I mean, it's, it's really, we're, we're looking at them in Dallas right now, right? I think so, yeah. I don't think the Giants have a shot, and Washington might get the 500, maybe. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, it's funny, because a couple of my favorite quarterbacks, talked about this yesterday briefly, or in depth, was you know Mariota, Jimmy G, Wentz. You know, those were guys I would that gladly have jumped on their train and still would. they got to stay healthy, man. <laughs> they do. It's, it's hard to do. So, yeah, that's the question there. Who's your next team in the NFC? Atlanta. And I think I'm going to be really bullish on Atlanta. I, I bet they add a little pass rush. I bet they add a guard. I think Matt Ryan's a really good player. I think their weapons are strong. And the defense just got hit so hard with injuries. It really feels like Mm-hmm. That's not the problem. You know, to me, that means, hey, the owner's not happy at all with what happened last season, and he's wondering why Atlanta's not able to overcome some injuries the way some other teams have, and there's a lot of pressure on them to be you know, a team that wins that division or contends this season. Um, you had the Super Bowl in hand, and what's happened since then? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I think it's. I think you got asked that about Rivers too, and a couple of these older guys. Yeah, and I, I think there was something to it late in the year with the Saints. So that 
to me, that has to happen in conjunction with Atlanta having a little better health here so that Atlanta can go to, can win 10 games, you know, and, and then hope that the Saints aren't at 11 or 12. I think there's multiple things that have to happen for them, and I'm not as bullish as you are on that they will happen, mm-hmm. uh, but I think they had better happen because I think otherwise there could be changes there. Wow, that's, I didn't thought of that angle, but that's great. The team on this list, I have five NFC teams that I'm least confident about is Carolina. And I keep thinking, boy, I think we're going to keep getting reports. Cam Newton wasn't healthy for minicamp, wasn't healthy for training camp, might not start the season. And I like their weapons. I love McCaffrey. But where's the pass rush going to come from? Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure that the Panthers are a sleeping giant. Well, they're they going to be a tran- team in transition on defense. They obviously mm-hmm. get younger on that side of the ball. They're going to. Um, so that's a question mark, and I, you know, it's not automatic that they can just automatically coach up that side of the ball. But I, I like Ron Rivera. You know, yeah. I think, that, I, I think that they have a chance. Now you're right on Cam. If Cam's healthy, I, I love what was going on uh, in North Turner's offense. I mean, up, first half of the season was great. Up until he got hurt, they're top five offense consistently. Mm-hmm. So that is still the potential, and they have a really nice young core of offensive skill players. You know, I think. Even though Greg Olson was there part of the season, I believe I looked at you know the average age for starting running back, wide receiver, tight end, and I think Carolina might have been the youngest. You know they certainly were right up there. So there's a lot to like on that side of the ball if Cam is healthy. But we could have been seeing the beginning of the end for him too. You know everyone's been saying forever, oh this is unsustainable. You know the the type of you know power running of the quarterback and it has been sustainable. They've done it in last year. Um, you know, his, with his shoulder injury, we're maybe more worried than we've been in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, they have a dynamic offense when it's humming, and I think the offensive line is probably better, and they may add to it still in the draft. Um, Green Bay. I mean, it's kind of they're kind of out of sight, out of mind, but I think Rodgers is pretty much as good as ever. The defense looks better. I would imagine it's a playmaker-type draft that they grab tight ends and wide receivers. A new coach you know, gives me some hesitation, but Green Bay could win the Super Bowl next year. I want to see if Green Bay, uh, you know, I want to see that dynamic between the, the new head coach, Matt LaFleur, and Rodgers, and does Rodgers get a, does Rodgers look like the win is in his sails again, um, and he's fully on board. I think his mechanics, you know, seem to, Suffer last season. I talked mm-hmm. to somebody, you know, in the league who broke down a bunch of their games and said, "Does he ever throw the ball on balance anymore?" You know what I mean? Never. So right. Right. I would love to see. Uh, it, we saw so we saw some plays last year. There was one in the game at Seattle. There were others where, you know, he puts it to the guy's feet from ten yards away. You know, uh, I would like to see does he snap back into being not just a great player, but really on point and look like he's fully engaged and, you know, the body language and all that. And I don't know if that, I have no idea with the new coach. How good is the new coach? I mean, what we've seen so far, um, there's nothing to go on that makes us say, wow, this is going to be amazing. Um, so it's, to me, they're wait and see. Yeah, a good point. I mean, I do think he needs reeled in, but is Matt LaFleur the guy to do that? I mean... What did he do in Tennessee last year? I mean, like that's—it's an odd, you know, right? It's not. Yeah, exactly. It's not Bill Walsh. I mean, it's you know. I'm not grading guys off of the press conferences, but I watched all of them, and you know, I—I was like really impressed with Zach Taylor. You know, he had some of the new guys. Man, this guy had a vision. He communicated it. He was.
was on point. He was on top of everything. And, um, you know, the one in Green Bay, I was kind of like a, li a little more nervous. Now, that's just a first impression that may mean nothing, right? I mean, press conferences aren't how you win or lose the game. But we're trying to evaluate as a leader Matt LaFleur with little to go on because we haven't been with him. And I'm just saying so far there's nothing that makes you say, oh, wow, this is the next, um, you know, Mike Holmgren in Green Bay. Yeah, right. I know you're high on the Vikes. I mean, they missed the playoffs by half a game. Awful field goal kicking. Everyone wants to say it's Kirk Cousins' fault, but I don't think Minnesota's going away. No, and I think the, the impression people have in Minnesota is that they were like 6-10 and 10 last year. Right, yeah, right, right, right. They were 8-7-1, and, one, and you know, I think Chicago isn't going to win 12 games again. I think Chicago comes back a little bit. I think uh, you know Minnesota could be at least as good as they were in the win column. It was a tough season. I think it's underrated how hard it is to bring in a, a quarterback from the outside. Again, Cousins is a fine quarterback, but he's not, you know, just a dynasty. It's not like bringing in Rodgers or somebody who's just going to absolutely transform your team. I think it's a heart transplant of your team. And I think it takes over. There's a break-in period for him to build the relationships and the chemistry and get on the same page with the coaching staff, which, by the way, the coaching staff changed during the season. So, um, and Tony Sperano passed away before the year. Yeah. Offensive line coach is a very critical position, especially when you have one of those real guys who coaches it. Tony Sperano was a real guy. He's one of the top, certainly a top ten offensive line coach in the league, and their offensive line is an issue. So I love the fact that Kubiak ended up there. I think that's one of the most unexpected things. I mean, Kubiak should be in Denver. I mean, he and he and Elway were, were teammates and great buddies, but because of the way that, you know, the disagreements over uh, how they wanted to assemble the coaching staff, Gary Kubiak pops free. Well, my number one concern for, for Kirk Cousins last year was I thought he needed more under center, more play action, more of the stuff that helped make him uh, make his career and launch his career, really, when he was under Mike Shanahan in, uh, in Washington. And I think they're going to get back to that with Kubiak there. I mean, it's just so obvious to me that that's what you do. And it takes pressure off your offensive line. Um, it creates uh, what we were talking about with New England, where you're passing when they think you're running, you know, all those types of things. Um, I, I think they're a team that is still going to be good on defense and look out. Yeah, those are great points. And you know who's going to be on my fantasy team next year? Dalvin Cook. I mean, everyone, I mean, he missed like the whole year, basically. And in a Kubiak scheme, take a little off Cousins' shoulders. I think that offense has a chance to be quite good. I bet the offensive line's better. I, I think the Sperano conversation is very, very noteworthy. Um, good stuff, man. I, I think you got some good points on the Vikes. All right, Mike, that is a wrap. Let's do it again next Thursday. This was very fun. Yeah, absolutely. Can't wait. All right, guys. Um, I will be back tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, you can subscribe to this show on the new Himalaya podcast, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And do me a favor, when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL. Over and out.